All right, our next guest is a former NHLer who came oh so close to winning a Stanley Cup in 91, but some guy that wore number 66 out of Pittsburgh kind of got in his way, uh, but transitioned well from playing to the finance world. And and full disclosure, uh, disclosure because Stu Gavin is someone that uh, I've been working with for the last 20 years, and uh, I still think it's remarkable that uh, I entrusted you because I'm I'm used to the Greek way where you find a soft mattress and a couple of pickle jars and you hide your money. <laughs> yeah. But let's bring in let's bring in Stu Gavin. Uh, I thought it'd be a, a good idea. We thought it'd be a good idea to bring you on, Stu. Uh, there's there's a lull in the Evander Kane, but that won't stop people from still wondering um, how a guy like this or many other athletes in general find themselves making millions of dollars to filing bankruptcy. So first of all, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Kipper and Justin. Uh, good to be on. Uh, all right. I mean, where do you want to start? Because I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you know, and I want to be full disclosure here. Um, you know, you had first started transitioning out of professional hockey into, in a, uh, investment world. Uh, you made a few phone calls to me. We we had known each other, but not not a whole lot well. And you know, my first thought, Stu, like many of my teammates back then, is, you know, you're asking me a lot here. I'm working my ass off for every dime I I I, I got. I want to protect it. Uh, it's hard for players to kind of entrust people with something so intimate as as their money. Correct? Is it still a challenge? all these years later, is that the first process is actually players giving up their money and entrusting people? Uh, absolutely. The trust is huge. And I think, um, you know, having someone that can relate to that player their ex- and uh, what their experience uh, has been or will be, uh, as you know, uh, invariably I'll uh, try to reach out to younger players. They might be prior to their draft or once they're drafted and, you know, they love playing the game. They want to pursue the NHL, but there's a business aspect of it as well. So not unlike their hockey, they have to train and get better and stronger. And, I think, and they have trainers and nutritionists and different coaches around them to, for them to realize their goals. I think it's paramount that they have someone that uh, obviously is trustworthy, but uh, competent, has the accreditation and, and the resources behind to deliver it. And, and obviously can relate to uh, what their journey may be like. Well, Stu, this is one of the fascinating things for me is, you know, uh, Kipper mentioned it off the top. Evander Kane managed to, um, you know, squander a, a lot, a big contract, a lot of money that he hadn't even made yet. And for me, I wanted to understand how these players access their money. They don't deposit their checks in a checking account and withdraw money at the ATM uh, when they need it. What are some different ways that players approach being millionaires young? I, I mean, I assume some guys get sort of an allowance or a monthly sort of a per diem from their own money. H- how does this work? Well, it's gr- it's a great question, uh, and it's different, but I know for us it's really setting up targets for the people that we work with, um, you know, setting up targets. You're constantly educating and informing the player, and you have to do it in – in small enough amounts so they get it and that they are engaged in the process. But, you know, quite frankly, a lot of times you don't want to have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in a bank account that should be, you know, moved over to a different account, ideally an investment account where it's maybe um, 
not noticed and there's not that urgency to go and spend it. But um, I think the, uh, you know, budget is key. But then also for an athlete, once they get in the league, they invariably think um, that it's going to be a long journey and that they're just the nature of the beast. We're invincible. They're, they can do anything. And so the fact they might get hurt or they might get cut or that that, they, that the career might be shortened, um, they have to think that way and, and uh, kind of plan accordingly. But as it relates for the, the cash flow and the decisions, um, you know, I think, I think it's uh, set some targets, not like they do it for their training and for their season. Um, you know, save every paycheck. Just put some money away. It's out of sight, out of, out of scene. It's working for you for the day that you don't play. And then ma- and manage and live on what uh, is kind of allotted to you each, each month. Stewie, I had teammates uh, when I broke into the league that uh, could, wouldn't know how to pay a visa, wouldn't know how to book a flight. Um, is is it better today? Are the players more inquisitive? Are they are they um, focused a lot more than just playing the game and leaving it to others? I mean, again, my, my teammates wouldn't even have a clue who was double dipping on their fees. Not a clue. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the good news that there's more with the more money, there's more people involved. And at, a, at an earlier age, uh, whether it be the agents, whether it be the families and just the, the dollars that are there, that uh, there's more resources, hey, even the internet and even the player association and different people um, trying to make the player aware of uh, the situation to manage it, to make good decisions. Um, um, so, so that's, that's a good thing, but you know, Kipper, you get to the NHL, you know, there's a card game in the back of the plane. You want to play. Everyone wants to win, so maybe you try to gamble a little bit more. And the first thing you know, and I've seen this, guys will lose a paycheck playing cards in the back of the plane. And, uh, and you know, it's... So then do they come uh, to you and, and ask for more money? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had calls from Vegas or, you know, the Vegas the next day or guys texting some of my staff to say, you know, pay the marker off for 50 grand from last night. I, I didn't have a good night. And I think, um, you know, that that desire to win sometimes uh, they don't understand the risk they may put themselves in is, is something as simple as gambling and not setting limits, you know, so that's uh that's that's um that can be an issue so how tightly then do you work with them as i don't want to say a babysitter but like i'm familiar with the story where an nhl player bought a house for a family member and got fired by his his money manager so this is not part of the plan not what i wanted to do if you're not going to follow what i you know think you should do with your money you know it's not going to work is that common what is the relationship like there well, uh, it happens a little bit, but uh, again, most of the players, most of the players that uh, in the league are, um, what's the word, respectful. Um, there may be some financial literacy, or their family, or, or someone trusted is close to them to help them learn and make those decisions. And we work with a whole, with it could be a family member or um, that other could be the agent, whoever else is involved in in the team that the player has around them to uh, allow them to maximize their, their uh, success. So um, 
for the most part, the guys make good decisions. Um, and when you're young in your career, hey, you're going to make poor decisions or you're going to regret maybe buying a certain car or whatever. I think of something as simple as buying a sports car in a warm climate, and then two weeks later you're traded to Winnipeg and you need snow tires on the on the Corvette. <laughs> so, you know, little things like, geez, I shouldn't have bought that or I can't use it. But, but hopefully they're small and you learn, and life's about learning, and then um, and then trying to – Make sure that what's important to you, and for us, it's save, you know, put money away every paycheck, and then um, over a, over your career and over a long period of time, that compound effect, um, you know, it should be a, a larger bucket, and hopefully you maximize that success that it allows you to transition from your hockey and have some money and resources there, or in some cases, the guys that are quite fortunate to never have to work, they'll do something, but they don't have a, a financial need to, to work. But that doesn't Stu, how many to many players. How many NHLers you represent? Uh, we probably uh, north of uh, 60, 60 to 70 players and, and then retired players. Majority of our client base um, are uh, have a hockey background, um, summer in management, um, but uh, um, and that's that's uh, that's the core of our business. We also deal with other people that have um, you know wealth and that need to need a, a game plan and need a trusted advisor to help them along make make decisions. So I'm sure the pendulum swings from like say me an example who would be like an a plus student to <laughs> to to like some really guys who are just awful still with their money um so my my question to you is as a as a president of of, of your wealth management team is it hard sometimes to look at a guy and and say you're you're still heading in the wrong decision or in, in the wrong direction and there's got to be a, is there ever a point in time when you go like short term gain gain I'd like to keep your fees but long term it's put it this way I wouldn't be I wouldn't want to be the financial advisor uh, to have on my resume uh yeah we handled the Vander Kane uh file you know for for 15 years you know what I mean so are there are there, yeah. are there clients when you got to say I I have to fire you not the other way around yeah, yeah, and I, I think the the, the um, you know the I said this to different players. They don't need another friend. They don't need someone to just say, "Yeah, go do it." What you want, you know, if they articulate that these are my goals and it's to have, set themselves up for uh, hopefully some financial security. If they articulate what's important to them and then I see them not doing it, then we have another discussion. Or you have to. Tell them point blank, you can't do this or you should not do this because it's not in your best interest, short term or long term. And I find so often the advisor may, to your point, fear of losing the client or losing that revenue will try to, you know, accommodate the the person or accommodate some of their bad habits. But you need to have those tough um, discussions with them so at least they're clear to the implications of, of their decision and and that's a big thing um really try to tell the players if you do this this is what can happen and conversely if you make some uh, a couple of poor choices and sometimes one poor choice it can have a dramatic effect on your financial life long term and that could be buying a house 
um, you know, when you get traded and you buy a house because um, you don't think you can find a rental or, you know, there's pressure to, to have a house, um, you know, that could cost cost you, you know, millions of dollars if, if your career doesn't uh, pan out or you're not in that city for any length of time. Well, and these are competitive guys who, you know, I, I don't want to say they live on the edge necessarily, but they're, they can be risk takers. You know, do you do you find that you have clients uh, in the NHL who want to do adventurous, aggressive things with their money? I, I think they get approached by a lot of people to invest in restaurants or to, you know, put their money here or money there. Is it more common for these guys to want to do other things with their money? And at that point, do you do you have any sort of input on that? Or at that point, it's up to the to the client. Well, we we do, and we have a lot of uh, dialogue, and I think those opportunities do, do come along. I think they come along um, um, fewer times than some people might think, but when they do, you know, our role would be to uh, whoever is presenting the offer to put it in writing, see if it's valid. Sometimes it may be valid, and then the next question, if it if it checks the boxes, um, really what amount of capital could the player allocate to this? And, and if it goes and does well, great. But if it um, tanks and they lose their money, it, that dollar amount will be insignificant and it won't materially change their quality of life. So those are the discussions we have. And, and it's a great learning opportunity, um, some of these opportunities, because the player then says and, and would hopefully agree, no, I don't want to do this. And they might see that person bring it to them as the benefit is more for them than it is for the investor. Stu, there's been a salary cap uh, for quite a long time now, but it's almost as if sometimes uh, you listen to the players and I'm not sure if they still understand it uh, or, or the escrow. Of course, you uh, uh, and your whole uh, management team have to be on top of that uh, all the time. But here in, in Ontario, when it comes to, the say, the Maple Leafs, uh, and, and people say, oh, you know, Jack Campbell's going to sign for $5 million or $6 million, uh, or a player's making a million. How much are they truly taking home these days? And yeah. it's, mm-hmm. nowhere, it's nowhere near the amount that, that looks sexy in a newspaper, is it? No, that's it. When we, even a simple um, um, document we'll put together, and that's, here's your gross salary and everyone reads that in the papers and guys are making X, X amount, millions of dollars. But, um, you know, when I first turned pro, uh, a guy told me, and actually Terry Martin was the least, he, he said, Hey Stu, it's not what you earn. It's what you save. And, and we all see what's on our paycheck, but for, uh, NHL players today with escrow and the deferrals and, you know, um, and with taxes, depending on what jurisdiction they are at least, 50%. In some cases, it could be, you know, 70% of that gross is gone. You know, it's, it's a high, high number. So if someone thinks that they are signed for 4 million or 5 million, they're getting that five, obviously, um, there's a lot of friction on that from different sources, uh, that, uh, there's a lot less goes into their bank account that they can now plan and manage for their future. The average player that you deal with when they're done their career, are they, you know, I think a lot of us think they're set for life or is this for, for players now? It's just sort of a, a chunk of their life and they still got to get out there and, and, and earn. Um, yeah, another, everyone is different. I've seen some players that, you know, make, um, you know, a relatively smaller salary compared to their teammates 
and their percentage of savings is a lot higher. And you can get a you know a third line guy that plays you know 10, 12 years and just kind of socks away each year and is doesn't live large, and he will do a lot better than that person that makes twice as much and decides to live large and treat his friends and have an entourage and and just uh, you know live for the day rather than the future. So, uh, but to be really set up, I think at a minimum the guy the guys if they have a you know, if they play four or five years or however long and, and uh, they can save and maximize that opportunity, at least gives them a pool of money to transition and maybe they can go back to school or maybe they can, you know, uh, maintain a lifestyle until their their second career or post-hockey career, the income and the opportunity can grow so that they don't have to tap into those resources that they, they saved and worked hard to save. So it's a... Uh, um, it's it's different, but hey, uh, you mentioned Evander Kane. I don't know the man, and I just see what's been written and publicized. Obviously, there's some uh, a lot of gambling issues. In those cases, we see players that maybe are uh, self-destructing. We'll reach out to the PA or the agent and try to mm. get them the support that the the professional um, support they can have to deal with the addiction or the, the health issue that they're faced. It looks like it's financial, but invariably it's something different. Stu, we've seen countless of athletes uh, in other sports uh, blow fortunes. Evander Kane will go down as uh, the biggest one in hockey, but let's just generally speak here. Uh, and we saw another case where Jack Johnson, I think, uh, declared bankruptcy uh, you know, another ugly situation. But generally speaking, is is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Can can players like this dig themselves out of this? Or is it just a foregone conclusion that they're going to work the rest of their lives for creditors? Um, you know, I guess in in certain situations that'll there'll be a, a bankruptcy court or they'll go to, go through a bank, bankruptcy process and then it, uh, the... the those terms will dictate uh, um, what creditors uh, they're obligated to and for how long. But um, I think, you know, if uh, I've seen different players, uh, they, they would come to us and want an assessment and just say, hey, where am I? Am I on track? Because invariably they don't know. They, they, they make decent money. They think they're saving some. I remember one case, a player I, I, I talked to and, I asked him how much you how much you spend each year. Oh, I spend a lot. You know, I go, oh, well, how much? I must be at least you know four hundred grand a year. And I looked him straight in the eye and said, you, you spend four hundred grand before you even get out of bed. He looks at me. I said, I know you have two houses. I know you're you know have multiple cars and you you, you know you you know you have a, an expensive lifestyle. And I also knew that his salary, his agent fee alone was about three fifty. So. There was no way that he was spending that much money, and and it was significantly way higher. But at least then he knew, and now you can come back to a plan and say, what is reasonable? What do I have to do to set myself up? And and um, that's where some of the players that make a lot of money can spend a lot. But uh, it's, I think it's absolutely critical that they have a plan, they have targets. The great thing is. Athletes generally are very coachable, so you can coach them and set goals. And for us, it's like um, minimum savings targets each year. We really have three numbers I think are really important. And it's not your body fat or course you score or any <laughs> of the other stuff, but, but it's, it's really, um, you know, what's your budget? 
what's your minimum savings target for that upcoming season, and then how much you have to save throughout your career to never have to work. Yeah. So at least the player can go in, go into that season. He'll know his budget, and we track that each month. He'll, we know going in, you need to save I don't care seven hundred thousand dollars, and then we track it each month, and we see at the end of the year, did you exceed it or not, and then why? There'll be a reason for it, but that target's there, and then they also know, hey, if I get, you know, so many millions that I never have to work, and it's interesting because. Some of the players will take that into their negotiations with the agent and say, with the team, I know if I sign for three years for this or four years and get this number, then I'm set. So they can, it's it's um, it gives them the comfort and they have their own targets to to set themselves up. Because Nick, you know this, we know this, all the former players. When you're done, you know, if you haven't taken care of yourself, no one's feeling sorry for you. It's your fault. You should have done it, and uh, there's no handouts. So. Um, um, you, it's really important you do it when you have the chance and you have no regrets. None, none. And uh, I made one of my best financial decisions in 1997 when I handed you $92.78, and today <laughs> it's well over uh, $1,100. <laughs> yeah, well, I love helping hockey players. I know how hard it is to get there. And, and the commitment they make and the sacrifice they make along with the families. And then, you know, to get in even to stick in the league and stay and, and have a career. And then, quite frankly, all the predators and creditors and, and people that are trying to be in your pocket and looking at the athlete as a, a meal ticket for how they're going to do well rather than um, what can I do to help that player. And, and, uh, and that's where the trust side comes in, and I think it's so important that, you know, for anyone listening and, and uh, you know, have credentials, um, you know, you don't just need a, a nice person. You need someone that has the horsepower and the credentials to do it in the, in the organization. And ideally, if they're a fiduciary, meaning they have to you know, always act in the client's best interest is good. But there's so much financial literacy that people generally um, aren't aware of. And, and I encourage them just to do lots of due diligence just because someone says I've got a guy and, and I really like him do do more due diligence because um, you've seen it with other athletes they all go to someone they really like but that person is abusing now not just one but a whole group fascinating stuff uh, Stu Gavin uh, really appreciate your time he is uh, president uh, at Gavin Hockey Wealth Specialist uh, look him up uh, take a look at uh, the website because uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of strategies that go into this and uh, uh, keep up the great work, Stu. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. The uh, for those people, there's some tax calculators in there. People want to see what players what it costs them to play or where, depending where they live, that would be uh, of of interest. Keep up the great work, guys. Have thanks, a great Stu. Day. We Here. appreciate your time. Bye bye. Stu Gavin, what'd you think? JB, uh, I love that stuff. I'm fascinated by that. Find it wholly unrelatable, <laughs> but I still am fascinated by how it works. Yeah, but the quicker you can catch on to it, the uh, the the better off you are the rest of your life. And it's yeah. again, it's I joked around, but you know, you, do people really understand compound interest and how it works and how it could double your money, you know, oh. over a lifetime and like it. It, it's he's right it's not what you make it's what you save it's what you accumulate and uh you know i t- 
to this day, I, I can tell you that behind the scenes, through the NHL alumni, we have a lot of sad stories about guys that you would be shocked at career earnings and what they have today. And I, I hope it it doesn't go public like a Vander Kane or a Jack Johnson. You know, um, it's always someone know? else though, Kipper. Not, not that they're not responsible, but there's always a person, you know, and Stu just said this, who has something that's going to make them 10 times their money. You know, like, oh, this restaurant or this product or this whatever. That's the story I hear the most because, I listen, I've been around my dad and his friends and I've heard all their stories. I mean, my father-in-law, Clark Gillies, is a, you know, he invests players' money now as well. Um, and that the most common story of loss is like someone came along and said, hey, man, we need 50 grand for this restaurant or whatever. It's just one bad decision, too. One bad decision. And it's uh, it's like washing away. It's like playing playing seven or 10 years of your career for free. One or two bad decisions. These guys don't know. So, I mean, hockey players their whole life. I mean, no disrespect, but it's – yeah. how would you know? It's not their fault. No, but, uh, you know, again, uh, upbringing, uh, mm-hmm. your foundation, uh, your core values, all of it come into play. And, uh, you know, you hope, you hope you have a good support group. For the most part, we hear how great families are around hockey players, and we see it every Christmas at the World Juniors and or Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, you just hope the parents are, are doing the right thing when it comes to uh, children respecting money and uh, valuing it and uh, ultimately taking charge as adults. That's that's the best we can do, I think. Well, and you, uh, that's why there's nothing more disgusting in hockey than the whole Jack Johnson saga. Like, I don't even... It's just so, so sad, so unfortunate. I'm glad he seems to have been able to continue to play, continue to earn, and hopefully when he's done, he's, he's, he deserves to be comfortable. All right. Uh, excellent conversation with Stu Gavin. Uh, after the break, Bob Stoffer, head of Oilers Now, host. Uh, we're going to get into Evander Kane and see exactly where the Oilers are. Uh, it seems like it's in a holding pattern, but certainly they drew their cards the other day with Ken Holland and including Connor McDavid, who went public as well. We'll have Bob after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born, Show 67. A story we've been following quite closely, like everybody else in the NHL world, Evander Kane and their ties to the Edmonton Oilers. Joining us now, Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers Now and a panelist on NHL Hockey on Rogers broadcasts. Bob, thanks for joining us. Nick, how are you? How's it going? We're good. We're good. How's the Evander Kane watch in Edmonton? Well, today it got superseded by Mike Smith uh, not being on the ice. I was, I always try to get there a half hour before practice i want to see uh you know especially these days uh with covid and that sort of thing i want to see who's back who's not back out there connor mcdavid and leon drysaddle and yes the Arby were out about 35 minutes before practice and i'm like wait a sec here i only see one goaltender so mike smith uh we found out today he's only played six of 34 games this year goaltending has been a uh an issue for Edmonton over the last 13 games, which has taken them from first and winning percentage to about 18th. And it sort of superseded the Evander Kane talk because right now it's in the league's hands. Uh, it is a discussion point. I heard part of your guys' show a couple days ago. 
and uh, I got a pretty good idea where you're, you both are coming from on this, and it's a contentious issue and one that I understand people have different uh, perspectives on. For sure. You know, we, we worked our way through it, uh, you know, were it to be the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, um, you know, you can totally, you can talk yourself into it. He's a good hockey player. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Oilers' willingness to do that? You know, there's a rumor today that uh, there's already a deal in the drawer for $1.5 million. Um, what are your thoughts on the likelihood and the the fit, the whole situation of having Kane end up in Edmonton? Well, Justin, it can't be done because Edmonton is at the cap and they've got eight players in COVID protocol, and they would have to make a couple roster moves to even fit in Evander Kane. Uh, and they got a they got a nice team on Saturday night against Ottawa. So I'd say rumors that the deal's completed are greatly are, are greatly exaggerated at this stage and like there's there's nothing signed i can because there can't be uh just because of the windows and mechanisms that edmonton's going to have to deploy even if they were to get them and i say this as a guy who in 2007 broke that the edmonton Oilers had signed uh michael nylander at that time and the Oilers thought they had a deal done on july 1st and then we got a call in the afternoon uh, from New York saying, uh, from Larry Brooks saying, you're wrong, Stopper. Uh, the deal's not done. And I'm like, well, my source was pretty good. And I thought I was going to get uh, crushed as a result because, you know, I, I thought the owners would just say, you know what, stop, too bad. You're going to have to eat this one. And they didn't. They said, no, we thought we had a deal. The agent, Mike Gillis at the time, had texted us to tell us that Nylander had come. And uh, so I sort of looked like, you know, maybe I was in a little bit further. This was before, and full disclosure, I now work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, but at that time I didn't. And, uh, you know, Kevin Lowe's like, I'm not doing that to you. You had it right. We thought we had a deal, and that deal fell apart. And I can tell you that Jacob Marks from in Calgary uh, with Pat Morris, something, you know, I, I think there was indications that maybe there was a, an agreement in, pre, you know, a verbal, but you know how it works until things are signed mm-hmm. on the dotted line. Things can't be signed on the dotted line right now for Edmonton. It's just the way it works. They're up against the cap. They'd have to move players in uh, in and out of the lineup. And some of the players that might be theoretically going down to Bakersfield in the American League can't be moved there because they're in COVID protocol. So, no, it's not done at this time. Would, are the Oilers interested? We know that, you know, Ken Holland's got to, you know, he's in a position where you've got to do what's ever possible to try to improve your team. And yeah. this is an important year for Edmonton. And some fans would say, nope, no chance. I don't want Evander Kane around. Um, in other leagues, like the CFL and the NFL, you know, sometimes guys are given third or fourth chances. I think we all know Kane's a pretty good player when he's focused. And wherever he goes, if he is indeed even allowed to play, because we'll have to wait and see what happens with the National Hockey League, um, wherever he goes, it's going to be on a short-term deal where he's going to be on his best behavior. So, uh, I, I, I'd say my guess is Edmonton would be interested, assuming that he's able to play, and it's only going to be a short-term deal wherever he ends up signing. NHL investigation has started. It is underway. The feeling is now that uh, this thing may go to at least midweek before we get some clarity from the uh, NHL, and there probably won't be a decision uh, till then. But in saying that, Bob, just Ken Holland, press conference and then commoner mcdavid uh yesterday uh very forthright in in their comments and their support to bring in evander kane you don't get that from any other team i'm just wondering why bob why lay your cards out there and in the event that they don't get him it's almost like a failure 
Uh, all right. Well, first of all, Ken Holland was requested by the media, specifically the writers, uh, to do a media availability. We haven't actually had a lot of other general managers go on record over the course of the last week to two weeks. The Oilers are in the middle after a 16-5 and five start. They're in a 2-9-2 and two run, and now they're not playing for a 10-day stretch. So Holland did the availability, and he, he didn't lie. Like he said, yeah, we've had discussions with the agent. In terms of Connor McDavid, the media requested that one of the members of the leadership core uh, answer questions. It's almost like these days, uh, and, and this is the world we live in, Nick, and you can extend this metaphor for how everything else is going on, but you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Things are incredibly polarized. The people at the polar end want to drag people in the middle into conversations, and you can extend the metaphor for politics in a sport. So it becomes a virtue signaling people uh, contest for certain people on one side of the ledger, and the other side of the ledger says, well, you know, I'm, I've had second chances in my life. Maybe we want to you know, give some other, and, and people say, well, Evander Kane's had four, five, or six second chances. I got to tell you, at this stage of the game, I'm starting to think that it's going to turn out to be a mute point anyways. Uh, I really do, because I think that there's going to be an additional supplemental discipline coming from the league. But, you know, the, the, the reality is the general manager was made available. I mean, what should he have said? What should he have said? Oh, no. I mean, is, no, we're an, good. He's an, actual free, he's an actual free agent. Like, you know, if somebody said, well, uh, Ken, why don't you go trade for Carey Price? He's going to say, I can't say anything about Carey Price because he's property of the Montreal Canadiens. So I, I kind of, you know, sometimes I, I find it a little bit interesting that we've, we've gotten to the place where if people don't want to hear a certain thing, they get frustrated. Case in, so I'm going to put it back on you guys. Why did Toronto lose to Montreal last year? We all know why Toronto lost. Carey Price put up a 945 save percentage in the final three games. Toronto had a pretty good team. They got a good team this year, right? But for people that don't want to be, believe the narrative that a goalie stood on his head and stole a series, and it must be a reflection on the fact that the Leafs haven't been built the right way, like they were just damn unlucky not to have beaten Boston in one of those two years. If, if Nazem Kadri stays in the series, they probably beat Boston one of those two years. And if Price doesn't put up a wall similar to what Curtis Joseph did in 97 and 98 for the Oilers against Dallas and Colorado, respectively. If that doesn't happen, the Leafs may have gone all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, it, it, I guess it depends a bit on your perspective, and that's what we got going on with Kane. The people that don't think Kane should get an opportunity and think he's a piece of crap, they're the ones saying, why would anybody even investigate this? And others that sit there and say, you know what? I I think maybe people should get more, you know, that he's going to come in and his best behavior, it's worth the risk to take. There's that end of the perspective. And, and a lot of people are probably somewhere in the middle and don't have all the information anyways on Kane. So it's a, it's a pretty intriguing scenario, I'll tell you that. Well, we like, we like Ken Holland's openness. We had George McPhee on. We asked him about Evander Kane. We're like... <laughs> Hey, George, why don't you be more like Ken? Come on, give us the goods. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't quite as willing. There's no doubt about that. Um, well, he, and he's in, he's in on everything, guys. Yeah. He's never not in. <laughs> to the point that, that I, like, I look sometimes at Vegas, I don't, and I'm going to tell you right now, the Pacific Division's wide open. Vegas isn't as good as they've been because they don't have the one-two punch in goal. Okay? And I know they went on God Eichel, but they're in on everything to the point that guys that were a part of their culture and their success – have now been run off. And I find that a little bit interesting. As much as I respect George and Kelly McCrimmon, who's a legend in the Western Hockey League, even though he never won anything in Brandon, uh, the reality of the situation is 
they're, they're, they're now in a, a scenario where you have guys that loved it there that were a part of their success, case in point, Marc-Andre Fleury, and he leaves under a pretty unique situation. So I guess it all depends on your perspective. So how has it been the Oilers, you know, there's such a, a point of frustration and, and obviously it's been reflected in some of these Kane conversations w- with where the Oilers are at and what they've been going through. But like, let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a pretty good hockey team for a good chunk of this season. And we, we know that they can put it together at times. Which Oilers team is the true Oilers team? The one the one that came out of the gates hot or the one that's been floundering in the, the latter part of uh, 2021? Neither. Okay. They were never as good. At, they were never as good as sixteen and five, and they're not as bad as two nine and two. I know you know analytics, Justin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, Mike Kelly, and I think you guys actually have him on your show once in a while. I mean, Mike did a thing just before the game against the Leafs, where over the twelve game stretch where Edmonton was two eight and two, the Oilers uh, were eighth in the league in expected goals for and thirteenth in expected goals against, and they were thirty first in goals for and 28th in goals against during that actual stretch. For your listeners to understand, uh, Edmonton, when they were 16-5, and five, all three goaltenders, Mike Smith, who was out with an injury, Miko Koskinen and Stuart Skinner, who there's some belief in here, all three goalies were above 9-14. And over the course of the 2-9-2 run, uh, Skinner, who ended up going back to Bakersfield and is probably back on his way here to Edmonton, uh, he was at 899. Smitty was at 877. And Koskinen was at 866. And you know the old saying, goaltending 70% of hockey. Unless you don't have it, then it's 100% of hockey. That was Pat Burns. And the reality is the Oilers didn't have it under during that 13-game run. It starts there. There were other aspects of their game that were challenged. They used 11 defensemen during a 13-game run. Uh, their power play was only at 18%. It was brilliant through the first 20 games of the season. But they simply didn't get stops. They were constantly chasing games, 21 of the last 25 games. The reason there should be more optimism in Toronto this year, believes, is because Jack Campbell's legit. He's the real deal. He's the type of guy you can build some confidence in. And Edmonton doesn't have that right now between the pipes. Then it got further exasperated today with the fact that it looks like Smith's out again. But I never thought Edmonton was as good as 16-5. and five. And I never, th- I certainly don't think Edmonton's as bad as two nine and two. Uh, I do think the they, they were eleventh and twelfth the last two years, guys, overall in the league. And I think they're probably eight through twelfth this year. And we'll see, you know, how they put it together to see whether or not they can get moved back up the charts. But I, they're in the right division to do it because the Pacific is not either of the two divisions out east. Wow, that uh, that marketplace is going to go ballistic uh, here, and Mike Smith's out for another two to four weeks here. Uh, no, no, one to how sorry, uh, Nick. What, one to, how one long? to two weeks. One to two weeks. With, one to one two, two weeks. weeks with. Yeah, he's out a couple of weeks here. Is, is that enough time to 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 not have to panic for a goalie? It it works for Edmonton because they got the game against Ottawa on Saturday night. We hope assuming everybody gets out of COVID protocol tomorrow. They've got eight guys in protocol, but five that can come out tomorrow. Um, and then they got a game against – now i got to remember who they're playing. Uh, Panthers, <laughs> they Flames. They got Florida. They got Florida on Thursday. So they got one week, uh, one game in the next week. So it might not kill them. But once they play Florida, in theory, they have 47 games in the next 101 days. So they're going to need Smith healthy uh, for that run. 
And what do you expect to, to happen at the deadline? You know, the, the other sort of pushback from the Holland presser was that he had no, you know, was unlikely to trade the Oilers' first-round pick. Uh, if they are able to warm it up a bit, we, could that change a, bit, change a bit? Could you see the Oilers getting more aggressive? If they're in the top eight, I could. Yeah. But, I mean, they're going to have to make some hay here. I mean, he said earlier in the year on my show, if Everton was in the top eight, he'd make a trade for a player with a contract carrying forward. And the, the reference point we use are the moves of Tampa Bay and Julian Breesbaugh. And I'm not saying Edmonton's as good as Tampa Bay. But they they struck at the right time and went out and got Coleman. Uh, and they got Goodrow. And they gave up significant assets to get those guys. And uh, Ken was asked by Daniel Nugent Bowman from The Athletic, basically if he traded his number one for a rental this year to prop up the team. I, I, I don't know about you two guys, but that makes zero sense to me. If it, When your team's sitting at 16th, 17th, 18th place at that time so i understood ken's uh, position on it and people sit there and say well you know mcdavid's turning 25 today ironically enough and you know leon's 26 i still think everton's going to make the pacific division playoffs i actually think they're going to come in second or third and they got a lot of pacific games left and so far the three cali teams have maybe overachieved a bit based on what a lot of people thought so we'll we'll have to see what happens here we got we got some runway left March 21st is the trade deadline, uh, Justin. I, I, you know what? The fans can panic. The team hasn't played, which adds to the panic. Yeah. Kane's a polarizing figure. He's a free asset. You don't have to, or he's a free player. You don't have to give up an asset. And the league stepped in anyway. So let's, let's, just, let's just get back to playing some games and see what happens. So we watch. Hey, Bob, thanks for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Anytime you're stuck and can't get somebody better out of Edmonton, give me a call. <laughs> no, no, no. Not that at all. We appreciate it. Offer. No, no, no. First choice. Legit. First choice. Legit. Thanks, guys. Legit. Um, clearly, Connor McDavid's not getting a Vander Kane for his birthday. No. I mean, did that? that's a, having a great guest right there. Like, I feel entirely different about Kane to, to Edmonton than I did 20 minutes ago. Sammy, you're, you're on mute right now. Are you saying something? Oh, I am? There you go. I am on mute? Yeah, you're back. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, Me- meaning, what, what's the biggest change that you well, got? Well, I'm not as sure that he's going there. I you know, came on the show thinking Kane was going to be an oiler tomorrow. And now... Listen, if, he, if, he, if he's not an oiler next week, uh, I'm sorry, but oilers have an egg on their face. They do. Do you think so? I oh, mean, Come on. Well, like, how do you go just, this far? They wasted far their time. And, and that's how they have egg in their face. They wasted their time unless, with all this. Unless, you know, unless there's uh, news that uh, the league's going to suspend in another 10 or 15 games, I don't get the sense that's happening here. All they're investigating right now is how he crossed the border. For contract that's purposes, it. not suspension purposes. Like, can they void the contract? That's why. No, this but, is nothing to do with San Jose. My, okay. What I'm hearing, this this is separate from the case against terminating his contract with San Jose. My understanding, this is just about a cross-border uh, situation on the 29th. And if there was any violation on that, that's my understanding of this investigation. Okay. As far as San Jose and terminating a contract, that's going to come before an arbitrator. Sammy, you're saying something? Well, I just, if there was the PA and there was a suspension involved, the question I have, if there was a suspension or the border stuff, there's no way, would, would it be shorter than the other one? Like, 
does it does the numbers go down? Like, how would that work? I, I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, he he doctored. That's a fair uh, question, right? Like, yeah, he, he had games, a fake. Not... He faked a va- uh, vaccination card. Uh, I know it's subjective, him... but like the fake vax card is worse for me. Like, it's just so intentional. See, he he got he he was diagnosed on the twenty first. He crossed on the 29th. Which now is okay. No, which, not okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but on the 28th or 29th, didn't the NHL announce that they're going to go to the, the CDC protocol of five days? Yeah. After Around that, there. though. It was after that. It was in the oh, new year. Okay. It was in yeah. the new year. Okay. But so I, I don't know. Do we Do we have definitive information that suggests that, you know, he – crossed illegally or he didn't he had covid or he didn't have covid in in that case what comes of it then is it's with san jose or a suspension for him that's the part that's a little muddy i guess but either way it sounds like the you know if you're the oilers and they're gonna suspend him for let's make up a number 15 games okay you know like uh, if i'm the oilers we then then we sign him for a prorated 1.5 and we were good with it before okay fine you know, like he's still a good player. He's still going to be in the fight. They would still have him for playoffs. I, I don't see how him getting suspended would somehow make him less desirable for them. Yeah. Like All right. Let's switch one. gears. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit because today I, I kind of found interesting that uh, the double IHF uh, put out a press release uh, that quoted president Luke Tardif uh, and pretty much it's reiterating what we we thought all along was that NHL players are not eligible to partake in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did some digging around a little bit, and the general feeling that I, I I've gotten over a few phone calls is that Alexander Ovechkin had plans on still going to play in the Olympics. That was his wish. Wow, like fairly recently? Really? Uh, up until the last maybe, you know, I don't know if it's a week or, or two weeks or what, but the feeling was that Alex want, wanted to still represent Russia in, in the Olympics. And if we can recall on the last Olympics, he had the blessing of his owner to go there and not feel like he was going to jeopardize his contract. Right. I would believe that was still the case. And I think maybe this press release has something to do with one mm. more one more message to, to Alex and maybe a few others, because I believe he's not alone in this, that you cannot go. Part of the, uh, the press release today said, spoke of respecting player contracts is a fundamental principle of the double IHF international transfer regulations. Right. So I have no doubt that this is another um, clear message that uh, don't think about it because we won't welcome you. Now, here's, again, the things that I've heard behind the scenes, that there was even talk about a guy like Alex terminating his contract, Mm -hmm. going to play there, and then resigning after the Olympics. But I think it's wow. it it, it got back again that uh, the message from the National Hockey League to Alex 
or anyone else is that won't fly. We will red flag that as well. You imagine that so, he goes over there, voids his contract and snaps a femur or something might have Stu Gavin or whoever his version, uh, Stu Gavinsky might not I, be real pleased with his financial you know, decision making. You know, I'm but, sure he's you know, fine. We're yeah. I, uh, he's already, <laughs> what did we say? Going in, doesn't matter. Yeah. What, what yeah, did we true. say? Uh, career earnings. That's 113 not, you know, bajillion. Yeah. It's 113 million or something. Million. Yeah. 120 million already. Uh, it, without the the new five-year deal enough to roll the dice so a lot's going behind the scenes still uh unrest with many players about not participating in the olympics and i think this kind of peels the onion a little bit for us can i peel the the onion this is is mental what we're talking about that ovechkin was trying to find a way to get there when the other players aren't going is mental and to me speaks to the Russian state of things there, you know, to, you know, perhaps the leader and, you know, their, their thirst for dominance and the perception, like he would want to go over there and beat up on Canadian AHLers and, you know, parade around with a gold medal. What would that prove? What'd be the point of that? If they're not going, why would you go? What are you proving? I I think you nailed it. It's just about, uh, representing Russia. And I think it's uh, it's more political than it is. It is. Uh, competition. Well, you know, it, it's really interesting, though, that the IHF came out with this statement and not the NHL, and that the, or sorry, was it the IOC, Kipper? It was the, the IOC. Double H. Oh, uh, Double IHF. Okay, yeah. so yeah, like... Although we deeply regret not being able to bring best-on-best best ice hockey back to the Winter Olympics, there was very positive work done with it between the IHF, NHL, NHLPA, and IOC to reach an agreement that would have enabled players to compete. Like, they're like, we wanted this, guys. You know, we're working yes. with the leagues. And then even the statement goes on to say that, unfortunately, they just, you can't come over if you have an NHL contract. And I wonder if the NHL talked to them and said, look, it's going to look bad if we do this. Can you go ahead and just tell Alex you can't play? Uh, <laughs> JB, I I think you nailed it. Yeah, I do. Well, that's good. Yes, I, I think that's that's exactly what happened here, and we're talking about millions of dollars in transfer fees that are based on contracts. So if if you do have an Ovechkin over there or Brad Marchand over there, then you run the risk of of throwing the whole loop, you know, out of whack. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, uh, I, I, they don't want. They they like their I, money. It's clean on on contracts, and they don't want to mess with that. I, I feel bad for Ovi because, like, his two times he's played at the Olympics, 2010 they lost in the quarters to Team Canada, uh, and then they lost, I think, in the quarters in 2014 to, I want to say, Finland, if my hockey brain correct, if I can remember that correctly. So... He hasn't exactly gone with Russia and had a lot of success at the international level. You think of them in the World Juniors getting pasted by that amazing Team Canada team, losing 6 nothing in the final, Patrice Bergeron knocking them out of the game. I get it. He's not getting any younger here. Like when There's no plans for a best-on-best tourney. Like I completely understand why he would be this desperate. There's other guys for Team Canada who have gotten to play. I get it. You know, I guess Stamkos, he'd be a parallel if you want to look at it that way. But I just, I really do feel for Ovi because these Russian dudes seem to care 
mo- not that they care more, but you're right. The political or have been side encouraged of it is just to care. Yes, it's a passion. So yeah. I, I feel for Ovi boys. I do. He's also he's also got family history tied to the Olympics as well. Does he not? His, His mother mom, is a basketball player, yeah. right? Correct. Yeah. You know, my and only question I, about Ovi. Go ahead, Kip. I, I just think it's it's something that uh, he wants uh, part of his legacy. Uh, I sure. my only question about him is is not whether he plays in the 2026 Winter Olympics or but whether he plays in the 2030 Winter. This guy is such a he's, he's the Beatles. I mean, if he's going to be there, if they can he's roll him out, yeah, you, you, in know, a you know, you know that band broke up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard. yeah, they're still right? pretty revered, though. I think uh, in the motherland, their own motherland. Yeah, but they they, they didn't last that long. You, know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you guys watch that documentary? I watched part of it. I want to watch more of it, but yeah. It's like, really, really good. I, I saw the part where he was creating Let It Be, or sorry, Get Back, just like. Oh, it's spectacular. Wild. It's really, really fascinating if you like the Beatles. Yeah. Anyways. And uh, again, I'm told he, Ovi's not the only one. There were others that, that, that looked at a lot of different options here. And uh, Brad Marchand, yeah. we saw him. We saw him last night own it against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I know, uh, JB, we got uh, the NHL All-Star team uh, 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 being announced, I think, later on today. But uh, mm. don't don't look for that guy to be on that uh, that team. No. <laughs> yeah. you don't think I, think, he... I, I think they're going to give him three days off. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, Sid's not uh, – well, we'll see, I, I guess. Yeah, but I, I doubt he wants to go either. But with Marchand, it's like Marchand, it's like – you know, this guy was so passionate about going, and it's just he is such a good hockey player. Do you want to watch that game last night at all? Oh, it's he's, amazing. He's, he's so good. He's ridiculous. He's got uh, seven goals in his last three games, two, two, and three, picked up a purple cowboy hat. I, I mean, he has, he's the guy who's displayed the frustration most about not going, and you wonder what lengths some guys like him would have gone to to get to represent Canada in that tournament. Sam, has he been before? Has he re- represented Canada? He played, he played in that in the 2016 uh, World, and he played in 2014 as well. He was on the line okay. with, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with Sid and uh, Marchand, and they won the gold, and then they won the gold at the World Championship too, and he scored the winning goal against Team Europe in, the, in Game 2 to make it 2-1. So... I know I'm weird, but I like I saw somewhere I saw on Sportsnet they tweeted out a picture of Brad Marchand wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, saying, "I was always a Toronto fan growing up." As painful as that to say now, and that's from Connor Ryan. He got that clip from him, I guess. So just know that uh, when Brad Marchand's breaking the hearts of the Leafs, he used to love the Leafs when he was a kid. So just remember that, guys. So when um, when the Leafs have to play. Tampa Bay or Florida in the first round because they gave up uh, two points to Arizona last night. Will you be okay? <laughs> or or they face Boston. All of a sudden, now Boston's not a sure uh, Boston thing. Boston doesn't have a goalie, do they? Oh, wait. Oh, God. Tonight. It hasn't started in a year and God knows how long. Tuka Rask is uh, dressing for the Boston Bruins, played zero games in, with Providence. They're just going to throw him into an NHL game. We showed clips uh, last night of him uh, warming up as the backup for the Bruins. He stepped on a puck and got scored on. That's all I've seen him do since he last played. Uh, what do you think about Rask coming in? Million bucks, Kipper. Well, first of all, uh, I, 
he sounded like he was happy that he didn't take a chance of getting blown out in the American Hockey yeah, League. Yeah, he's like, yeah, those guys get sent down conditioning stints, give up seven goals. Glad it it could have been a repeat of that video where he snapped for Providence, where he was throwing the, the stick crate. around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, throwing the crate, falling down. When 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 he's on, we know he's one of the best. And uh, does he have anything left? Yeah, he's got to have something. Uh, first of all, just the will to want to come back. It's clear it was going to no be the Boston Bruins or retire. So yeah. uh, he's got a good chance here to uh, to win a lot of fans. You know, not that he doesn't have any. I think he's beloved for sure, but it didn't it didn't end well. You know, last time he 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 left uh, the playoffs. So I I think it's an, a great opportunity and and Swayman looks like a a good prospect, but not not clearly ready for prime time. No, he he hasn't done anything where you say you know this guy can't wait six months to get his chance. Um, Rask, by the way. Is- his million bucks, his billion dollar salary prorated, like what he's got left on this year is $545,000. We just talked to Stu Gavin, who said that a lot of these guys take home about half of that paycheck between escrow. And he said, sometimes they lose like 70% of it. A half of like five fifties, two seventy five. Like Rask is going, he's playing for relative peanuts here. Are you surprised that he didn't ask for more money than that? Kipper? No, 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 no. Because, uh, Rask wants as much room as he can to win. And that's that's a unfortunate part that this CBA does. It pins you against yourself. Yeah. And the the guilt that teams put on players uh, behind the scenes is it's gross, quite frankly. Like how badly do you want to win? Well, show me by giving me more of your money. Yeah. That's that's it in a nutshell. So Tuka He's just interested in coming back and winning right now. It's it's not about the dollars or else he'd be somewhere else or demanding more. That's that's not the case here. So Boston's got a lot of wiggle room here to add. They need a lefty in the worst way, guys. So uh, if, if, you, if you ask me, Chikrin, Jacob mm-hmm. Chikrin out there, that, that would make the most sense for the Boston Bruins. I just don't know where their assets are to, to make a deal like that. Yeah, no, that, that that would make sense for them. And you're right. I'm not sure what they have uh, available in terms of a package that Arizona might want. Got Jake boys... <laughs> well, I guess. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of that guy, aren't they? That's what I mean. Yeah. That's, that's uh, quieted down. That has quieted down. So, Kipper, speaking of goaltenders um, and money, there's a situation in Vancouver uh, right now with Yarrow Halak. Halak right now is, uh, if he plays two more games for the Vancouver Canucks, they'll owe him an additional $1.25 million against next year's salary cap. This year he's played eight games for them with a 9.15 save percentage. What are your thoughts? He's got a no-move clause, by the way. What are your thoughts on the Canucks trying to find a way? They're in cap hell. And if they want to compete next year, that $1.25 million is huge. Do you think they would ask him to waive that? So they wouldn't get stuck with that cap hit. Oh my goodness, Edmonton. Well, the he's just at a a, a million and a half. It's not like we're dealing with a a, a even a Mrazic situation at uh, almost four million bucks. But the extra million so one two I, or whatever it is. I, I, if I'm Edmonton, 
and and I think Halak's the guy that can come in and, and save us here. I I don't think I'd worry a whole heck of a lot on that extra year. Uh, mm-hmm. I just don't know if if that's their complete answer. I mean, Halak, you know, remember once upon a time it was keep Halak and get rid of Carey Price. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember the stops er, early with Halak on it as an Islander early fan. In, Early in Carey Price's career, it was like Kalak was was getting the job done in the playoffs. When they beat the like, when they beat the Caps in the first round. When they beat the Caps, yeah. So, but he just seems to be that guy that is is just the perfect one one A type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I don't know. Where, where do the Canucks at, think at one, they're at this year? At one point five, I think the Canucks probably in another week or two are going to bail. Well, the Canucks have a tough run. They got Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina on the road, their next three games. If they survive those games, guys, you can talk me into the Canucks. Like if they come out of that at one, one and one, you can talk me into the Canucks right now. They are six points out of the, out of a wild card spot. I mean, they haven't even the half the season's not gone yet. They've played 35 hockey games. Yeah. I'm not sure this team's yeah, done. Little, little, Gabby magic still you're saying yeah you know the just fresh, sort of a fresh, there it is. fresh start on things you know Demko's been so good you sneaky good player uh Ekman Larson's actually defending very well this year I'll tell you a little yeah. stat here right now 500 of all D-men who've played at least 500 minutes he's been on the ice for I, the least goals against in the league I, I really I, yeah I get the six points out you're looking at, but I also see Winnipeg, Edmonton, <laughs> Dallas, and Calgary. It's not you're the six points. It's the four <laughs> you have to jump, and they play against each other, and they accumulate points, and they have three-point nights, and good on them if they can still string another nine or ten in a row. But, man, oh, man, a lot of teams to jump. Dallas, everybody's talking Klingberg. They're, they cannot trade this guy if they think they have a chance to go to the dance. It is it is a what-do-you-think-you-are situation for the Dallas Stars. They're one of those teams hovering around a goal differential. They're plus one right now. Like, are you good? Are you bad? Are you green? Are you red? Which which one are you going to be in the season? I don't think they can punt on the year. Uh, they'll no. got to hang on to that guy. I, I agree. I don't know if you want to give him $63 million, but that doesn't appeal to me all that much either. The... Um, <laughs> I think he'd have a tough time cracking that number. I just he's, he's got, I mean, it's, it's not like he, he's not, doesn't do everything great. No, that, I agree. Eight, 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 nine million dollars. Please give me a guy that does everything great. You know, Klingberg is, is 29 years old. He turns 30 this year. You know, the deal he, we're talking about is either seven years or eight years long. I don't know that he's got the career where I'm, I'm super comfortable going to that number either. All right. We jammed a, a lot in today's show, didn't we? Yeah, man. Good stuff, Interesting our stuff. Thanks. Our thanks to Gord Stellick, Stu Gavin, Bob Stoffer from the Edmonton Oilers, uh, host. We didn't get much answers on Evander Kane, unfortunately, today. Yeah, I feel like it's less likely that he goes to Edmonton than I did an hour ago. So, that's well, my answer. midweek, maybe we'll get some news. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon here, gang, though. All right. All right. Thanks, Sammy. Dylan Brown on tech. And of course, my partner in crime, Justin Bourne. We're right back at it tomorrow on the Real Kipper and Bourne Show.
Thanks for listening, everyone.